Hello you, tuning in to Psychomedy. It's Rafaela here from ThreadUp. ThreadUp brings exciting new changes to its services in direct response to what we learned while supporting comedians and creatives through the crisis with their mental health and including those who lost their income. Check it out at threadup.co.uk and get in touch to arrange your therapy that supports creativity. Psychology. I'm Nathan Cassidy, son of comedian and Bachelor of Science in Psychology, a subject I've been studying for 25 years and a quarter of a century of studying the fascinating way our minds work on and off stage alongside being a stand-up comedian for the last 10 years has led me here today discussing the psychology of comedy with today's very special guest, the completely brilliant and fantastic, wonderful Simon Day. Simon, hello. Hello everybody out there, wherever you may be. <laughs> hello. So, Simon, huge, huge pleasure to have you on Psychomedy. Um, so yes, as COVID restrictions take hold again in the UK, Simon joins me on Zoom here from London. Are you in London? No, I'm actually in Somerset caring for my father-in-law. Oh, okay. Oh, goodness. Who's 90. Okay. So apart from that, have you been spending the last kind of lockdown periods, you know, with with your family and have you been Yeah, okay I did the long generally? lockdown with my family. We've got a puppy just in time. Um, oh, good. We did that. Yeah, it was not too bad, really. You know, as an actor, I'm used to not doing anything for long periods of time, so it didn't really affect me in any way mentally. Um, right. I went out quite a bit early on in the car, you know, when I took photos of Big Diddy Circus when no one was there. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm sort of t- I'm torn between all this this sort of these lockdowns and this and that. I think you know, I, you can do this, you can't do that. That's okay, but that's not okay. A lot of it doesn't make a lot any sense, but. I've got a TV show coming up, so I'm supposed to be in isolate. I'm isolating anyway, so I'm safer down here than I'm at home because there's kids at home. Yeah, yeah. I get given jobs at home as well by my wife. <laughs> Are they teenage <laughs> kids? Teenage kids, your your kids? Just. Yeah. Thirteen and twelve. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What's the TV show? Can you say? It's King Gary, the sitcom. Oh yeah, great. They're doing a Christmas special. Oh, brilliant! It's a secret, because the BBC want to announce it. Oh, brilliant. Well, maybe we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll mute that. Yeah. <laughs> or I'll just say, it's very exciting, the fast show's coming back, Simon. That's great. Good uh, good yeah. exclusive there. <laughs> nice. I've read your book and, you know, you talk about, you know, uh, addiction and recovery. And uh, I noticed on Twitter you're um, helping and praising others or who may have been through what you've yeah. been through or, you know, uh, maybe on a similar life journey to yours with drink or drugs is... Um, is that that's something that's obviously very important to you? Do you do that outside of Twitter? Is that something that you do in the community? Yeah, I can't. My, my Twitter, uh, Twitter is not really any basis of, of my fundamental sort of key <laughs> beliefs because you know, <laughs> as, as I come, I suddenly just write something and I don't really think before I open my mouth. I've never done that. So a lot of the time you're looking at it, why did I say that? So and I'm constantly thinking of coming off Twitter, right? But I don't, you know. Um, but yeah, it's 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 an interesting concept, isn't it? Because you can you can create a whole 
a whole sort of fake persona, can't you? You, you, you can, and a lot of people create whole whole fake liberal personas. I think they yeah. constantly retweet the right things, whereas their actual politics are probably very different. You know, in the reality of how they live their lives. But on yeah. Twitter, they come across as wonderful, wonderfully sort of um, balanced liberal. Talking about balance, I guess with with Twitter, that you one of one of the things that struck me from the book was it was you know so incredibly honest searingly honest and almost kind of i think this was picked up on one or two of the reviews that it's like in normal biographies maybe you'd have chucked in more stories about what a great guy you are what a, no what a lovely guy you are quite but, a few comedians yeah. biographies so i know they were just lying you know they were just yeah, saying yeah, really yeah. Great. You become yeah 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 comedian and it's all fun and everyone likes you and, <laughs> and it's wonderful for me comedy comes out of it often comes out of maybe depression or rage or it's not normal to want to get on a stage and say like me you know yeah um yeah and i think for me that was what it was all about and certainly quite a few people i knew when i started out too they were people and certainly a lot of the top people i know now from my generation have all got personality disorders of some sort however yeah. mild and they've been through their battles with their demons. You know, I do, I did, it's very different, the comedy scene now, you know, the, the young comedians, they don't drink. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's changed a lot and, and it's, it's a lot more sort of stand up and you don't have to be, I, I don't believe in that whole sort of thing of old David Bowie's best albums when he was taking drugs. It's nonsense because you do your best work when you're, when you're sober. But for me, it was about that. It was about, you know, there was a bit of I'll show them and there was a bit of I'm desperation. And there was a bit of, you know, what else am I going to do? And when I got a bit of success, it was like, yeah, right. Well, I, you know, I'm kind of fortified now by this and I can sort of do what I want because I'm, I'm, I'm a famous comedian, you know, um, <laughs> all the wrong sort of mindsets to have really. <laughs> but I've come to realize it's just about making people laugh. That's, and, that, and that's really good for you karmically. And, that's all yeah. it really is. It's making people laugh, which is a really good boon, you know, and I've had enough people tell me that. So um, you mentioned, you know, several reasons why you would have be become a comedian. And as I say, I've read your book and it's uh, such a colourful, colourful life. You've you've lived up until the point you, you became a comedian. And uh, the big thing that you said there was, I think, I'll show them. And I think that comes, that comes across, um, you know, I'll show... You know, people that people that doubted you. I mean, can we go back to that to that first gig? Because I think of all the first gig stories that comedians have, I think you probably have the best one. <laughs> I suppose because it was it was so quick, and the fact that all my friends were there, and I, yeah, I'd had a long period of time where, I'd, looking back, I was depressed and sort of in addiction. Yeah, you know, I was gambling all my money in fruit machines. I never knew to live, and I would get jobs and lose them. And now I realise I was just an addict at the time. You know. Yeah, I didn't know what was wrong with me. So a lot of those people, I had resentments against because they hadn't let me stay at their house or they'd lent me money and mm. and wanted it back. And you know, you realise when you, you you get you get clean that a lot of it's your fault. You know, that, that's that's the big part of addiction is taking on realizing your partner or you can't just blame everyone. It's, you know, obviously a lot of addicts have sad stories. A parent got divorced or they were kicked out or this. Mm. But until you see your partner, you're constantly going to be going well yeah but they could have done that for me and they could have done this and there's a bit of that in my book you know I, there is um, there's a beautiful thing you say about uh, you know a damaged bird don't you a kind of um, yeah that uh you know you were that bird but it, it doesn't help that the bird is poisoned and a 
and a yeah, 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 put, yeah. put over it, which I thought was a really nice, so, yeah, so I, I, nice I, metaphor. I had this guy, Mark Swan, who was absolutely brilliant, who, who mm. helped me. He dotted the I's and, and crossed the T's, and, and he, he was so inspirational. And I fell out of him. It's really sad, actually. You know, he, he wanted to sort of be in a double act with me, and I said no to that. And anyway, he, he basically got me the wigs and said, no, do it again, rehearse, do it again. I would never would have done it without him. So when we had this 20 minutes, it was so polished and uh, different. And yeah. I was just lucky that Jim and Bob were there to judge it because yeah, I, I, it was a talent night and I, they judged it and they said, you know, I won and they said, you can come on tour with us. And, and they, for years afterwards, they would say, when I died, they'd say it goes over their heads, you know. Yeah, it, yeah. They don't get it. And, and I got to the point where it really annoyed me. I wanted to do something more broad, you know, that people did get. Because it's, it's all very well, two people saying it went over their heads, man, when you've died in front of 300 people. <laughs> I'd quite like to make the 300 laugh. At least <laughs> half of them. And funny enough, my last, you know, I still tore the Far Show characters and I wrote this bit for Billy Bleach, the pub sort of bore, mm. about Ryanair. And as I wrote it, I just knew that would be the thing that would go down well because it's not a strange thing about my personal life or, you know, I, like I call my son Kendrick, which I think mm. is funny because no one gets that. But <laughs> it's all about Ryanair and how terrible they are and you, and you pay the extra 10 quid for VIP. And in fact, you have to go and sit and wait and you get on the back, whatever it is, I don't want to do the whole routine, but of course it goes down a storm because they go, oh, right, Ryanair, they're bad. And not, it's not that all this is thick, but <laughs> yeah. it's just, it, it, people, you know, I used to envy these comics that could go anywhere and make people laugh, you know, and mine was so specialised. If you got it, it was brilliant. And if you got, if you had a room full of people who got it, it was amazing. But yeah, yeah, it got a bit boring, you know, the whole People going, yeah, man, you're the comedian. I think that's another great one, the comedian's comedian. I think there's a lot of comedians. <laughs> where it's okay, I'm the comedian's comedian. That's someone that's skins. That's someone that's thousand of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, how different your career would have been maybe if you hadn't made Vic and Bob laugh oh, and exactly. you'd, you'd made the 300 laugh. You know, that's, uh, that's taking yeah. you down a different path, isn't it? But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I obviously love that story of that first gig. I mean, what a... What a great thing to happen with Vic, Jim, and uh, Bob. And yeah. I love the way you're describing the garden at the back of the pub. It's almost like a, like a flashbulb memory. It's obviously such a huge moment in your life. And I think you, you recognised that, didn't you, before you did it, as you were in that garden getting ready for that gig in front of um, Jim? Yeah, I've been so sort of depressed just working for my mate gardening, yeah. not learning anything, not wanting to be a gardener. Mm. and under the sort of yoke of it and getting older and thinking what am I doing and people saying you should do this and why don't you try that and watch the other people do stuff and having wanted to be to do something like comedy since I was 10 you know since I always did drama and I and I, when I did drama at school I was the one that sort of bossed all the people and said you play that part but just not getting it together you know mm. so I kind of the period between leaving that job and, and, and working on the material I was so much happier and I got fit Mm. And um, so I was sort of in a good place, as they, as they say, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it all happened so quickly. It was nuts. It was yeah. completely nuts. In a year, I went from from earning 100 quid a week to, to sort of being on Paramount City. No, it was two years to Paramount City, you know, being yeah. a lead person on Paramount City on BBC One, you know. Yeah. So it was really um, crazy. Yeah, I love that. I love the description of after the gig as well, when you were 
you said a part of me was fixed that night and yeah. a, bit of, a bit of ambition dropped away immediately yeah. right there which is which is which is great i mean the two parts of that the part of me was was fixed i think you know we've we've talked a little bit about that and maybe we'll talk more about that but yeah the ambition the ambition dropping away almost like this is what it was building up to and you've you know was there a sense of that's it i've done it i've proved the doubters wrong you know whoever they were yeah i sort of proved it to myself i mean that that, mm. that came to me whether it came to me then or later and i look back on it i don't know but mm. Um, I certainly stopped when I started doing comedy for a living. I stopped having to make everyone laugh. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I had to make everyone laugh. I had that role which, which came from school for not wanting to be bullied, so I became an entertainer. And from having low self esteem, low self esteem as an addict, and wanting to have a role, so I would go to the garage and get them sweets when everyone was stoned. And mm. the general, which is it, terrible because you'd be you're sort of you're downgrading yourself, you know, you haven't, and uh, but yeah. It, that that you know that that's why people say oh he's an overnight sensation but you've been practicing since you, you stand up that's the thing a lot yeah, of yeah. comics come out of nowhere and they go oh he's, he's just over you know where's he come from but they've been doing it for years just to their family you know family yeah. and friends so and you'd lived a you'd lived a life hadn't you which a lot of comics don't do now you'd lived a real you know homelessness and borstal and drugs and yeah well, I think people choose it now don't they they just think well why would I be in a band and share the money out you know I'll just be a comedian. And, and and with the sort of the rise of the banal co comedy, you know, I'm not as angry as Stuart Lee about it, but I certainly share a lot of his feelings about it. That we've sort of gone full circle. The combination of the the fact that the BBC Channel Four can't afford to pay for sketch shows and new comedy shows like a Mighty Boosh or a Jim and Bob or or whatever sketch shows are very expensive. Lots of costumes and locations. They're not prepared to to stick with something different. Uh, on the mainstream telly and the fact that there was the, the Michael McIntyre's sort of thing was such a huge hit mm. with just people doing John Bishops and people doing normal comedy and I'm not knocking those people because they you know you people go oh it's so bad the material but like I say you've still got to make it work you know yeah. um yeah and a lot of those people are very good but I, it's just really interesting because there's so many stand-ups that I work with who are just you could never pick which were the ones were going to be really successful and which weren't, you know, because there's ones that have gone on to do amazingly well and others that haven't all, all on the back of this sort of observational comedy, which is so popular now. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's about a bit of, a bit of luck. I mean, as you know, yeah. as your career showed, you know, you had all the talent, but if Dick and Bob hadn't been there, maybe at that time, maybe it would have been very different. No, know? exactly. Um, so yeah, you never know, but you've got to put the work in to be, you know, to be in with a chance. And um, just in terms of one more thing on kind of proving yeah. proving people wrong, if, if I may, because there was an interesting story about, you know, when you won the Time Out New Act of the Year and Harry Hill came up to you and said Alistair McGowan was yeah definitely going to win and, uh, you know, you were, you were angry and wanting to prove him wrong. And there's, um, you know, it might be tricky living where you are at the moment, but in terms of your dad and your parents proving, proving them wrong, was that... Oh, definitely. Was and uh, that important? I had the classic sort of comedian's parents sort of from my dad went to public school, mum was working class and my dad was totally removed and sort of he's 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 in this is my stepfather looking after no, my father in law looking after here. He's my dad's in a home, he's got Alzheimer's now. I mean, lovely oh, guy, okay. but I'm sorry. Just of that generation who didn't really understand people and parents and didn't under, didn't understand children and parenting and what and just just reads books all the time. And he Mm. He came to one gig. I don't know if I put this in the book. He came to one gig, and afterwards he sort of went. You, it was, I sort of semi died. And he went. You said you weren't going to sweat, 
and it was just really it was like the only thing he liked and i knew he'd like it was when i did celebrity mastermind and i won that the, the, that week you know which is a sort of semi-fluke i told him to watch that and he was overjoyed he was over the moon and that fitted into his sort of canon you know he could he could get he got that oh great great yeah i mean yeah you had a you know a difficult relationship with your parents and i guess your step parents i mean i've been through the same thing that your step parents come in and you hate the step parents and yeah yeah you think that they hate you and they probably do i mean why do i want another kid you know looking back you know you think uh, my stepdad had i'm talking about this in the show at the moment my stepdad had five kids and suddenly he's got two more it's like no wonder he's like grumpy no exactly um no he but, went to my mommy didn't want that family yeah yeah see, i've made you know we, we, me and my mum get on really well now which is all that matters really that's good that's good yeah. in terms of gigging and you know we, we talked about vic and bob and how incredibly supportive they were and presumably still are i mean obviously wonderful amazing performers you, t- you talk about performers that you like in the book like uh, you know lenny henry when he first started uh, you know in terms of character comedian ricky gervais in the office and you make a lovely point about at those moments where they're at their best in their prime, they look like they love what they do. And I think exactly, the yeah. great thing about Vic and Bob is that they've always seemed to love what yeah. they do. Every time they're on TV, it's like they're having an amazing time. And as you point out in the book, it's so incredibly difficult to pull off that. I think only a few comedians that I can think of. Yeah, but they do generally seem to get on. They don't seem to have had any rivalries. I I don't think Jim is bothered the pork that Bob's doing the fishing show now. Yeah. You know, in in a classic double act, you know, Jim would be appalled by Bob doing the fishing and would try and stop him doing it. You know, if we look at double acts over the years and the the tensions between them, and I don't think Bob cares that Jim does this, they just seem to to, to get on really well, you know, not have any of those sort of conflicts between them you know yeah and do, do you in you know do you similarly have you have you had similar enjoyment from the things you've done in your careers there been periods where you've absolutely yeah oh loved- of course yeah i mean the far show was just all because again it was still all i can't believe i'm doing this for a living because i had much longer just doing odd jobs and being unemployed and yeah. so the first part was just all great but obviously after the telly then you because i i didn't become an actor or whatever and i didn't i didn't have the ability just to write and i didn't have a writing partner there were periods where i just toured tommy and that became suddenly like oh now i'm just a bloke with a bag and and with the blazer and the glasses in the bag and going to hull on a sunday night and and uh, mm. that can be you know that's that becomes not as exciting then you do the gig gig goes well and it's fine and you're back it's not a bad way of living, but it certainly became a bit stale. And I should have probably written more yeah. and done more stuff. I should have written more stuff, you know, um, for myself. Yeah. Um, again, yeah. I was in and out of addiction. So it's very hard to get it together. If you're earning enough money, you know, I remember Steve Coogan saying, you know, if you, you know, I realized when I started this, I'd have to sit down in an office for eight hours a day. And, <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's exactly the reason I do. I've done this. I didn't have to do that, but you, but, you know, um, yeah. yeah. Every job becomes admin eventually. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, a um, couple more things from the autobiography for me. I mean, it is brilliant. I read it all in one go, which I think is the only time I've ever done that <laughs> ever. Yeah, the people who liked it loved it. Love it. But it's, loved it's, it. You know, I think loved they thought it. they were going to sell a lot more copies. The publishers. I think they thought they were going to have another Russell Brand thing on their hands. But 
you never know. Um, never know. <laughs> so the, there's a few things I'd, I'd like to pick up with you. Yeah, because it, it was written in like 2012, wasn't it? I just wondered how things had yeah. kind of moved on from there. I mean, the first thing to say is, as I said earlier, you know, you, you write with such a honesty, but but also a, such a lovely introspection and psychological understanding. You know, is that is that something you've picked? Not not meant to be patronising, but is that something you picked up through? therapy or you know you also do a lot of no reading. i've always i've always massively analyzed everything overanalyzed stuff you know yeah. as they say is paralysis analysis and you know for years when i was still using i'd be like why are you doing this and that, that sort of made it worse and i'd go in i'd go to na and have sponsors and they'd say what's so weird is you really understand this stuff but you won't do it mm. you know what i mean you won't follow the program it's like people here they don't get it but you get it and yet you still go and drink. So mm. I've always done that, you know, and I've always been fascinated by people. You know, that's, that's why I was drawn to character comedy, because even when I was sort of not particularly living a very, my best life, as they say, I was always meeting people and, and, and they were more interesting. You know, work, I found working class people, is it patronizing that sounds, but so much more interesting than the sort of standard middle class Mm. you know because i don't know no concept of it and characters you know i love the idea of characters you know i miss the sort of london of like you know chestnut sellers and the the, the, the rag and bone man and all, and all that stuff you know mm. I, I wish life could just be characters and we could be sort of dickens and i find if my daughter who's 12 and she's just gone to the she was trying to get into the school she wanted to go to this school but we're waiting to see whether she'll get in and she's gone to a sort of rougher school and she's mm. immediately befriended this girl with nine brothers and sisters who's, you know, uh, dad's not there and the mum's somewhere else, he lives with her and then. And, and my, my missus is like, oh God, but why is she, you know, why is she hanging around with them? I'm being really bourgeois, why can't she? And I said, because she's more interesting. And, and yeah, she yeah. goes to the, she goes to the Wilson Labour Club with this girl and they, they play football out the back and table football and there's all people smoking, you know. And I said, you know, it's only a youth club, but, but it's more interesting, it's fascinating. It's not, it, you know, She's got middle class friends, you know, other yeah. girls. So they're, and, and they're, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, in, it's interesting to me that, that she's done that. Um, yeah, well, it's probably come, come from you, hasn't it? In terms of like that money does make you sometimes less interesting, you know, once you've got, yeah, when you've got no money, it's an interesting, I mean, God, your period where you have no money, that was so interesting, really. I mean, kind of, do you look back yeah. at that time with a, with any greater understanding of why you, I mean, various things you talk about, like the fruit machines, the, the alcohol, the drugs, the... Yeah, I just think I wasn't came... doing... I thought if, if, if you, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, I'm not, I'm not a businessman, and I'm not capable of adapting to, to, and I would get the easiest job, which would be labouring or whatever. I wasn't very good with people. I was never going to work in office. I've got, oh yeah, I'm dyslexic. I've got ADHD. It's really all I can do is this, you know. Do you ever get those feelings now of, you know, things like fruit machines? I mean, I've had a bit of a, you know, a thing with gambling many years ago, like 20 years ago. So I've had the same kind of thing where you just wasn't fruit machines, actually. I loved how you were talking about it in the book. Just like, why fruit machines? It's so ridiculous. <laughs> you recognize at the time it was ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. The fruit machine is like if you were going into casinos and maybe playing craps or roulette, something yeah, yeah. cooler about that. Well, no, I mean, since that that time there was a period when i in before the kids were born when i did the power gen adverts where i started playing the, the oh, really right. the, the the fixed odd betting terminal machines and losing a lot of money and i stopped that okay. that was scary you know and i and i on twitter i did campaign a lot against those and yeah 
you know, what I, I retweeted all the articles and I, I did a radio thing about it. And I, I wouldn't do adverts for, for betting companies, you know. Yeah. Um, although, I was, again, I'm torn because they, you know, they, you hear a lot of these stories about where they pursue addicts who say, I don't want to bet anymore, don't let me bet. And then they'll suddenly email them an offer. So, you know, there's a lot yeah. of that goes on. Um, yeah. Then again, I don't, I, you know, I don't agree with the sort of countess or whoever who sort of takes the casino to court and says, I've lost 8 million. I told you, you know, I, I, it's like, it, you know, it swings around about us, isn't it? But um, they, they, they were dangerous. And that was the fact that the government actually got rid of them proves how dangerous yeah. they were because they're not very, you know, the amount of income they were making out of them. And it yeah. was terrifying. It was in all the worst areas, wasn't it? And they, yeah. they suddenly became 90% of all the bookies takings. Mm. You could literally use a hundred quid in, in, in sort of five seconds. Oh yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. As you say, they were the crack cocaine of the betting industry. So yeah. Have you ever looked into the psychology of the particularly particularly fruit machines? You know, there's been various studies around. It's just a, a, about absorption. You know, into that. Yeah, into I that mean, in AA, they say it's turn. It's anything that turns away, turns you away from real life. So it's yeah. machines, gambling, else. pornography, anything that turns you away from reality, and you just fixate on that. Yeah. Um, but you know it is dangerous they're putting the same sort of algorithms into these kids games you know yeah oh god yeah absolutely and you know my son he he you know he does a lot of sport and then in lockdown he just started playing Fortnite, um sort of all the time and and my son we, as well yeah 11 years and, old. and you know i was reading about that they're, they're flooded with dopamine they've got all their friends there it's just perfect mm. but it's you know again he, he's not he hasn't got any sort of tendencies in, in my area so you know he's fine he's back now doing all his sports so we did worry a bit. Yeah, it's a huge issue with kids. I think those yeah. things, they are the, yeah, I haven't thought about it like that, but they are through machines in their hands, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, and, and, and especially and... when they start saying, you've got to buy it, you've got to buy an outfit and you've got to buy this. The fact that he's never asked for any money to buy anything, any extras proves that he's fine, you know, because I would immediately, you know, I started playing that a golf game and within about a month, I was trying to buy a hundred pound <laughs> golf club. Do you know what I mean? Those special balls with funny faces on. So, I, you know, I can't, I can't play these things. Um, they even hit, they even, they, even when the kids found out, they were like, why did he do that? You know, they were sort of pulled. Um, yeah. Do, do you do anything now to keep those kind of um, addictive demons at bay you know, in terms of immersing I, yourself I do, in anything I, else? The best thing I do is, is to do a bit of fitness. You know, that gets rid of the sort of head if you wake yeah. up feeling like, oh, and um, I'm working, like, I've been working quite a bit. That's really helped at the moment. But uh, yeah. I mean, lockdown's not brilliant. Lockdown's not brilliant for anyone. And I think especially a lot of stand-up comics. No. I don't know what's happened to them because lots of stand-up comics. There are lots around because, you know, and I don't know what they're doing. Um, well, yeah, we've talked with... Um, but yeah, I have to watch over... Sugar, I have to watch stuff, you know. Yeah, we talked with over a hundred stand-up comics in uh, during the lockdown period. So yeah, everyone's struggling. I think almost we're we're looking like square one now in terms of the winter. So it's great that you've got some TV coming up and things to yeah. focus on. I mean, um, in terms of your in terms of your mental health, you've been through such challenging periods in your life. You know, you've you know uh, Borstal and. Um, you know, the, the drugs and the things that the fruit machines, the addiction and, it, you know, I mean, the book's just so brilliant talking about it in like you're in black and white, other people are in colour, that kind of thing. But it seemed like you were staying above water mentally through all those periods. Would that be would that be fair to say that even in those really challenging times, I mean, homelessness, I mean, my goodness. And yeah, I mean, let's, let's get it right. The homelessness was never proper. You know, I've, seen, yeah. I've talked to homeless people since. 
Yeah. And I never had a year on the street. You know, I had nights here and mm. there where friends went, look, you can't stay. My mum said you can't stay again. Uh, I was never officially homeless for an, enough time where I was filthy dirty. And I, you know, and mm. I think you go, you go for a point, you know, if you're really homeless where you're just gone, you know, you can't, but I was depressed certainly. But, um, where was I above myself mentally? I think the weird thing about prison was, was that it was a relief because I outside was so bad. I was such a rock bottom outside. I was right. just literally nicking things all the time, nicking my friend's money, just playing fruit machines. So in a way, suddenly you're in there and you're, 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 you're all your meals are done for you provided your cellmate isn't a psychopath, you know, mm. and you, you live on your wits and you get your meals and there's no, you don't have to succeed at anything. You're not being compared to all your friends at university. You're not, no one's going, what are you going to do with your life? You, you know, so you're in there and, that, and thereby lies the horrible sort of catch 22 and, the, and why so many kids become institutionalized because they, they, they go in there and they can't possibly hope they, they, they construct a, a personality of their this and they're that and they're tough and they do this and they do that and they're gangsters and they're there. And then they get out and they haven't got a penny and they end up going back in, you know, I mean, it's much worse now. I, I mean, when I was there, this you're talking about 1981, it's become, it's horrendous the prison system now, however overcrowded it is, and with the gangs and the drugs are much worse. But I know people who work in prisons and, and, and you know, through NA who they just say it's horrendous, you know, spice right. and things like that. Mm. It's great to do a comedy podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll just, I've just, maybe I've read your yeah. book too, too you recently. Talking about the penal system. <laughs> and the word in the middle of the area from spice. Great. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, these are all roads that led you to being a comedian. You know, yes. this is um, what makes a comedian. Well, indeed, we've we've talked with many comedians on this podcast about comedians having a, you know, a different psychology, and um, you know, something you say in the book as well, in terms of like you've maybe feared love, and something we talked with about a few comedians that they've actively avoided love. And they're kind of in their thirties and they're just actively avoiding love until they get the success that they want. And I know you've oh, really? that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was, that is such a, that's such a comedian thing to do. Oh, absolutely. No? There was one, Wait, um, so I've got some success. <laughs> yeah. There was one, one comedian we had on and, um, she said that, yeah, she actively avoids anytime she feels like she's getting close to a, love. Certainly um you know she'll get into relationships but when it feels like the love is building she'll drop them because the comedy is more important and i just oh wow <laughs> yeah i just wondered whether you know you talk about how your kids have changed your life and how falling in love and everything obviously changes your life hugely i wonder whether there's anything you look back on in terms of as a kid you know you're watching comedy you weren't obviously thinking about probably being a professional comedian as a young kid but is there something different in a comedian's psychology it's not it's, it's not a question i expect you to, to answer but any thoughts about that with you're building up to that moment of that that moment where you got it i can imagine all of that rushing out of you like this is what it's all been for this one moment yeah fame, as peter gable really? says fame doesn't fill holes yeah which is a good line i mean it's, it's a combination of things isn't it it's uh people tell, told me i was funny mm. people used to tell me all the time you're funny you know, you're, you should, you didn't say you should be a comedian, but they would say you're funny. It's being quick witted. Mm. There's taking the piss out of people, which is one thing. And, and, and that can be nasty. Um, 
it's the love of entertaining and, or, and it's the fear of sort of silence the sort of you know i definitely have a gene in melancholy gene where we depress a gene in me where i don't like nothing you know i don't like just flatness yeah so it, you know in a room where it's quiet you know my wife's the totally opposite you know she's quite happy just i'll have to make a joke or you know crack break the ice uh, and i've certainly lost as i've got older and when i got success i stopped trying to be funny all the time because it's exhausting you know <laughs> i don't have the need to do that anymore and entertain people and be funny and i don't drink so i don't really go out anymore i mean that right. was the worst part and you go out and people are sort of going be funny or do that do that impression you know um, <laughs> and that's the last thing you want to do and they're like fuck off most comedians are serious <laughs> aren't they they're quiet and you, and you go oh, i met so and so he's really weird that's so and so he's really weird you know mm. Steve Martin, God, he's so, I saw a thing about him, he's such a weird bloke. You know, most comedians are not, you know, happy, expansive, sort of normal, well-adjusted people yeah. who are constantly good-humoured. Mm. They're analysing stuff all the time. You tell a comedian a joke, he goes, that's a good joke, it's funny, you know. Yeah, no, of course. You say, course. do you like... You know, do you like the mighty boosh? And they go, I like the first two episodes of the second series. <laughs> you know what I mean? They can't just let it go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you miss any of those old days before you became a successful comedian? Cause it seems no. like you were building up to that period. And no. then no, you... I just, I, I no, I was constantly worrying about money and what I was going to do and comparing yeah. myself to everyone else and thinking you're a weirdo and they're all, you know, and no money, council flat, the gas meter, you know, it was horrendous. Listen, okay, in the summer, doing a physical job mm. is great. You know, working as a gardener in the summer and being physically fit, and then you go down the pub and you have a couple of pints, that was great. Mm. But, you know, I'd have to go in a pub without a fruit machine in. So I went to have a fruit machine in, I'd lose all my money. My friends would, they'd go, they'd make, take me to real ale pubs. So I'd still have my money at the end of the night, you know. Um, yeah, so I don't miss it, no. I, I, you know, this is what I do. I, I'm good at it. Uh, I've seemed to have a sort of had a sort of second wind at the moment. I don't yeah, know why, right. but there seems to be coming, you know, uh, I'm doing this King Gary thing where, where Tom Davis, who grew up watching the bar show, and he's like, that guy's the person who my dad. So yeah. I'm doing that. I've got another job at uh, this big this sort of Warner Brothers origin story about Batman's butler. I've got a part in that. Playing a sort of cockney landlord, and all these are flukes, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's a strange business, you know. But also, a huge amount of love for what you've done in your career, you know. I guess. Yeah, people, you know, people with the far show because we only did, did three series, and because it was this pocket of time when everything was great. We did a far show reunion program on Gold, two and a half mm. hours long, and I did Gideon Soames mm. talking about the far show, and I was saying, you know, <laughs> but was it any good? <laughs> um, this was a strange period when we, when the country was thrown into the hands of Tony Blair, whose lukewarm <laughs> combination of pop-up Christianity and the strange decision from a politician to bed only his wife gave everyone the impression it was done in '66 and everything was going to be great. Oasis, the River Cafe, <laughs> and it was, you know, and it was. I kept saying, "But was it any good?" And I think that at that time, everyone was sort of happy. It was like everyone's houses were going up in value, and of course, it, not everyone, but it was certainly, yeah. The best ever period of comedy since Python. You know, you had Chris. You had 
Yeah, the Mighty Boosh, and you had Vic and Bob, and the Far Show, and Harry Enfield, and Chris Morris, and, and Father Ted. It, it, comedy was the best it's been, you know. Uh, that was about investing in it, and, and, and you know, people at the BBC saying, okay, let's go with this. Um, yeah. And the music as well, you know, it was all very, it was all bums on seats. It wasn't, it wasn't downloading, and was making money out of music, so that, that was being promoted a lot better. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think often, People like the Far Show because they look back on it. It was a time when they were at university, when they were very happy. You know, it sort of crystallised <laughs> yeah. the time in their life. Yeah, yeah. The the nineties was great all round, and yeah, particularly for comedy. I mean, God, Edinburgh. People talk about Edinburgh, but Edinburgh was then in the nineties. Yeah, you know, the Edinburgh Festival. The Perrier, it was like an Oscar. Yeah. I've, yeah, I spoke to comedians yeah. who said, "God, tell me what it was like in the nineties. You just got on telly, right?" <laughs> <laughs> you did a character and you got them telling us pretty much yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um you know talk about a renaissance i mean you've you've never really gone away but it, you know it's great that you're you know getting you know these tv parts and whatever do you feel do you feel still full of ambition you know you're talking about that ambition going after your after that first yeah year. I, I mean yeah i've still sort of have things i'd like to do you know i, was, I keep watching that, that 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 david bowie clip about being out of your comfort zone you know, and if you're in creatively, you should be just in the sea where you can just touch the bottom and you're kind of just floating. Mm. The worse you feel, the more uncomfortable you feel, you should go with it. And I kind of thought, well, you know, that it's all very well if you're David Bowie, but I would like to do something about racism, you know, I, I, and, and the me being in Boston and, and my generation, you know, we grew up, you know, reading Tintin books and I had gollywogs and I had a record called Black Sambo and there were no black kids at my school. And I think this generation, especially this government, I think still have sort of racial issues, you know, and I'd like to do something about that. I'd like to do a stand-up show about that. But it's like, you, you know, you go, do people want that? They get, you know, they come in long and wait to see Dave Angel and they get that. And I'm, I'm very much against those sort of bands touring and, and not playing the greatest hits. You yeah. know, they do the new album and they go, oh, no, what are they <laughs> So... <laughs> You know. that's, inter that's interesting i mean but have you so you've you considered doing because have you ever done stand-up as you as yeah yourself? i've done stand-up as well everyone said you've got to do it as myself and i did it when it did you do that right. when did you do that oh, i just did a tour i can't remember a good few years back mm. i did a tour it wasn't better you know and i said and my, my and i said to, you know i said to my missus was going you've got to do it and other people said it but it's just I, i'm not particularly gifted as a stand-up or as a, as a character so i can still say stuff i want to say as myself but Mm. I'm better at characters. I'm better in character. Mm. I feel as a performer. Yeah, but is there something about um, you know? I think this is from the book as well about the you know the nerves for the gig, or if a, a gig goes badly, particularly you can blame that on the character rather than yourself. You know, if you're doing yeah, I mean, not so much anymore because everyone knows the characters. So yeah, but I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean there is a bit of that. I just don't think I'm as comfortable as myself either. I don't. As I, said, I don't think I've got anything to bring. Unless I did something like this, that where I was yeah. really saying something different, you know. Yeah. Well, that sounds that um, sounds really that sounds really interesting. It does. I, 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 I should. I, I've jotted down stuff, you know. But again, it's such a such a, a thorny subject. Right. It's very difficult for white people to talk about racism. You know, it's very difficult. And I'm with that Larry David. There's that great Larry David thing. So I can't help but say stupid things to black people <laughs> when I meet them. I think a lot of white people are like that. They just generally don't. You know, for all their sort of urban sort of cool and noisy intelligence they go a bit weird and they're sort of you know there's <laughs> that Bruce, like you can... <laughs> Bruce sketch where he starts going about 
and you play a lot of sport, yeah, and all this. And <laughs> he's, sort of, he's doing really well. And then he goes, do you want some watermelon? <laughs> the sun on the buffer and it just goes all wrong and i think there's a bit of that in a lot of people but not but that's my generation and i think my kids are totally different yeah because okay, i say oh that black yeah. guy my son says you can't say that <laughs> and uh you know he, he you know and uh yeah i think it's an interesting subject i think that people are more racist in my generation than they think they are they're more confused about it than they think they are so yeah, I should do it, really. And, yeah, and yeah, you know, you'll see the front pages of the sun and the day and now when it happens. <laughs> no, it sounds great. I mean, division. I mean, whether it's racism or other types of division, I mean, that's, yeah. that's the number one thing that's happening in this country, in this world. And racism is still, yeah, you talk about kids not being racist. Yeah, but I think only maybe in areas where, you know, there's a great diversity. I mean, I'm exactly, sure exactly. Yeah. It's a big thing to do though, even for someone, you know, you've had obviously huge success, even for, I mean, maybe particularly for someone that's had huge success to kind of, I'm now going to do something a little bit different. It is a big, yeah, I know. it's a big leap. It's a big leap for anyone, isn't it? Uh, to take. And it takes, um, it takes something I may not have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to come and watch anyway, but, yeah. um, I mean, you talk so beautifully about your family and your kids. I mean, I feel the same way having kids that your life becomes, you know, they are the most important thing. Yeah, it takes the weight of being a self-obsession and a lot of comedians. Yeah, do. yeah. You, you, you said in your book, you, you know, you had a kind of a nasty, vindictive flame, a little pilot light of rejection, and that was finally extinguished by my, yeah. my children, which I thought was nice. I mean, it takes, you know, it takes any, I think... And you say, you know, in terms of no time for self-analysis. And it just got me thinking that the, the, the real kind of, the people in this industry, the people who are vindictive, the people that will spread hate, the people that will stamp over their grandma for an opportunity. I just got, got to think they're mainly kind of people maybe that don't have families. I think families that yeah, I think, change um, you. They do change you. Definitely. And um, I have a slight mistrust of people that don't want kids, I must admit. Um, <laughs> And come out and say it yeah i think you know it's like we always say to my missus what did we do before the kids we just sat around mm. reading magazines i mean what do you do there's so much to be done for every age and so much worrying and so much taxi ferrying around <laughs> it's like yeah. what did you do you know before the kids but i just can't but i don't know what i did yeah and how do you feel? Unless, of course, you're one of these career people, you know, who's totally in their career and do film after film after film. And that's why actors together never, never really work. They, you know, they're these great big show marriages. They're in love and they break up for three months because they're used to, you know, other people sort of kowtowing to them or they're both in separate parts of the world. Yeah. Um, and how do you feel about your ambition versus your ambition f for them? You know, do you, do, you, do you feel like you're balancing that? So I feel like I'm... Kind of I think I am. I'm probably. I mean, yeah. My son is really good at football, right? And so that was the best thing that ever happened to me because I was the nerdy kid right through school, and I liked football. And I, but I was, you know, and he's he's like a athletic, and he's good. He's just he's around academy level, just below, but he doesn't really care. Doesn't watch football. Um, not interested in it. Doesn't want to talk about it. The minute the game's ended, you know, he scores a goal. He just celebrates. He's quite. He's a quite interesting kid. But he's good, right? And he's, mm. he's physical right from the word go and he stops. He's not a remotely physical person. Um, but when, so we, had, we encourage him and, and then watching him has been, you know, the best. It's just better than anything. And I am the football dad. And watching dads look at me and going, 
that's the bloke that would play competitive dad and then <laughs> screaming at the sun because it also gives me great pleasure. Um, and you just see their faces going, isn't that the bloke that did competitive dad? And isn't he shouting at his son, get on with it. Um, yeah, my daughter, you know, she's really bright. Um, she's a bit more like me. But the whole thing of you've got to go to university and get a job, that's kind of gone, isn't it? You can't really put that on them. I do think we spoiled today's kids. I think they are a bit monocoddled. Mm. You know, the fact we pick them up all the time and drop them off and they don't have enough. That, But that's more the way the world is now. They can't just go and play on waste ground. They can't just go and, you know, hang about by some railway lines like we did. I think, <laughs> and, and it's like the guy in New Orleans said, you know, we had to go out and find culture. We had to go out and get on a bus and go to a weird pub to see that band. Mm. And it meant so much more. Now they can have anything. Just They just press a button and they can get any bit of clothing, any record. They can see any band's performance. That's not good for you, I don't think. Yeah. It's not yeah. good for you. Indeed. Right. Well, before we before we close, um, I, know, I know we're, it is a, we're talking comedy and psychology. <laughs> I know maybe we've concentrated too much on the psychology today. No, I'm really, I'm really well, glad to do it. It's so, it's so, yeah, it's it's so, it's so fascinating. And uh, people don't generally is... like to talk about that, do they? Well, absolutely. I mean, that 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 was my question, really. How how do you feel we are gen generally now with with mental health and and support? I mean, it's in the it's in the news now, just in terms of um we're concentrating too much on physical health with covid and uh, not not on mental I think health. mental health problem is is uh is terribly bad um mm. just in 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 narcotics anonymous and alcoholics anonymous you know i was going to meetings just before the shutdown and there's street junkies coming in and guys from rehab and they're like on 40 value a day and then you see them next week and they've got it down to 20. And, and I was talking to this guy and I said, you look so much better. And that's gone. All, all the NA meetings are not on. So they've got to do Zoom meetings. And I've done them and they're really difficult to do. Yeah. Because you don't get the human interaction. So I think that must have decimated mm. the amount of people. There are apparently people that have got clean on Zoom and are staying clean. But I think it must be very difficult. I don't really enjoy it. I try and focus on them, but they're not nearly as good. Um, and I think with the paranoia with this COVID thing and I think, you know, and, and mobile phones and body image, you know, it, it's a sort of key time, isn't it? And there's a, there's a lot of stuff in the news about it. You know, I, 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 you know, we'll have to see, you know, my kids are certainly susceptible to it all. Phones and they, you know, you try and take the phone off and they go, no, you know, don't, and they literally don't, you know, they go, they get in the bath and I say, what, you need it in the bath? And they're like, no, leave it. You know, have you seen the social dilemma? Uh, social dilemma on that? Not yet, and I want to watch it with my kids. But watch it with your kids, it. yeah, absolutely. My my, um, yeah, my thirteen-year-old. He uh, he just um, yeah, he was engrossed by it. Actually, he was like, oh yeah, oh yeah. So he was, and then oh, he carried, right. then he carried on playing. Yeah, of course. But, yeah, uh, phone My son would be like that. Eh. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it does. I think it works because it at least tells them what they're if you were told by the fruit machine manufacturers this is what they're doing to you this is how they're controlling you you might have carried on but at least yeah. you've been aware why you weren't yeah. flirting with that woman who was interested in you yeah is it interesting now having kids and presumably showering them with with love and um wondering i guess um how how your life may have been different you know we've talked we've talked about love and talked about love from 
parents and you know the pathway that you went on through Borstal and drugs and fruit machines do you ever look back and think you know at this time where your kids are maybe the kind of age that you were and you were maybe changing that this is the time to shower them with love and it's so so important and nothing yeah I think we're lucky you know we're together and we've got a stable relationship you know Mm. um they're kind of just at the age now where they don't want lots of hugs and you know your son used to stay in the same bed as me and you'd talk about stuff and mm. but you know they're becoming they're he's now at the age where like he's like what everything i say he's becoming a teenager <laughs> you know huh? yeah all right the harry, i mean the harry enfield with the teenager that having had kids now i think that's his best character yeah <laughs> why is so unfair you know <laughs> he should start doing the lines from that you should start doing competitive dad actual lines from the side and really confuse people you know so yeah um <laughs> just bring it back that way you know bring those characters back that way well simon it's been it's been so lovely having you on no no problem namaste and other um you know religious uh farewells that's not farewells, but really hello isn't it but i really enjoyed that it makes different from uh What's the best gig you've ever had and uh, who's your favourite comedian? <laughs> All right. That is our show for today. Join us again next week for more Side Comedy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify UK, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked it, please give us a five-star review. It helps other people to find us on any Psychopaths leave three-star reviews. Psych Comedy was written and presented by me, Nathan Cassidy, BAC in Psychology, and produced and edited by Mike Hansen, BA English for Pop People Productions, theme music by Mike as well. So that's Psychomedy. Please subscribe, rate, and listen back on all the great episodes so far. They're listed in these video clips and more at psychomedy.co.uk. And if you'd like to support the podcast, please, for £5 a month and get loads of bonus uncut video footage and more, please go to patreon.com slash Nathan Cassidy. Follow us on social media at PodPeopleUK, at PsychomedyPod, at Nathan Cassidy, and at SimonDay24. Lots of love, Simon. Thank you so much. See you again next week. <laughs>